Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright. And this week, straight from the comic books, that classic edition where Tony develops thigh control. <laughs> Today, I'm sure he learned that at the gym at some point. Yeah. Today, sure. we're talking about Minute 122, which begins with Eric's secret safety and ends with quick draw archery on the rooftop. Back on the show, we've got Team Exorcist Minute, Lester and Keenan. Hello, you two. Hi, great to be here. Hey, nice to be back. Yes, we are thrilled to have you both back uh, much later in the movie from when we first had our conversation with you. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, last we saw uh, this Thor and, uh, and Iron Man were punching each other real good. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Now they're punching other people real good. Yeah, right, that's, right. that's character arc. That's development. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We haven't seen you since the forest. Which we couldn't see for the trees. <laughs> so long ago. It's like a different movie. <laughs> Germany or somewhere. But now we know where we are. We're clearly in New York City. Or maybe Cleveland. <laughs> no. yeah. oh, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. Under a bridge in Cleveland. Yeah. Some human city. Some city somewhere. With buildings. Right. Although we're starting technically on probably a stage with green screen as we're with Eric <laughs> and this conversation between him and Natasha. Yes. And, uh, you know, we're coming in at kind of midway through his, like, we had a great cliffhanger at the end of the last minute with his reveal that maybe there is more to, like, what he had been doing. Like, maybe he did intend to be doing something. But now it kind of is like, okay, he's really not evil as he re reveals he built a safety to cut the power source. And, I mean, it certainly feels like uh, a script need at this point to come up with something to allow for them to be able to shut down this device. Like, do we buy into this? Does it make sense that his mental state would have allowed him to kind of plan this out? Uh, it makes sense if you don't think about it, Andy. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> it, feels, it feels emotionally correct, right? It's like, okay, he was in there and he was doing good. It's interesting that we don't get something with Clinton Barton um, that is the same, right? Because he, he's our hero, 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 and, uh, and not just a sidekick like Eric Selvig, but he, he doesn't get any sort of like, oh, well, I was in there, I did this or that for you all. Although that's that's actually a really interesting point, because there actually was this really interesting deleted scene that, I don't know, Pete, we feel should have been left in the film. It was a conversation between Clint and Loki, and it really helps set up a lot of the other machinations that they had going on. But in that conversation, Loki also comments on, like, uh, the fact that he missed uh, when he was, like, at the very beginning, after he first was taken his uh, mentally... Uh, he says, you know, you know, you missed, I can't remember what the line was, but something like you didn't hit Fury and Clint is like, well, maybe, maybe that's why, like, you know, maybe there's, there's something in there, like maybe there's something that kept me from hitting him. I can't remember the exact conversation, but it led to us thinking that there is something with this mind control where there is kind of some self-control that they're still battling internally. And mm. if they had left that, there would have, like, this might have uh, had that that through line, you know? Mm. Yeah. That's something that uh, Keenan and I have gone back and forth on uh, in our show 
Uh, we we actually call it the Laurie Strode argument um, <laughs> because it, it, the like in in the first uh, Halloween movie it's never mentioned that <laughs> Laurie Strode is Michael Myers' sister, and so like in that within that movie if that's the movie if that's the only movie that exists then then she's not and our our thing is like if it doesn't happen in the movie if it's like if it ended up on the cutting room floor if it if it is in a deleted scene but it's not like if it's not in the movie that people go to in the theaters and see if it's not explicitly said then does it exist and that's like a question we've gone back and forth on uh, many many times uh, because i still believe that you know laurie strode is uh michael myers no and no and and, (laughs) no really touched the nerve and darth vader is luke's father right but it's like same thing with episode four right like if if episode four is the only star wars movie that exists then darth vader and and luke skywalker have no relation to each other right Mm -hmm. um and but but I don't believe that, but technically he's right. <laughs> well, the most evil thing that Darth Vader does in that argument then is to let Luke and Leia kiss, <laughs> right? That is, that is worse than, than blowing up Leia's uh, adopted parents or anything like that. That's yeah. really, really gross. <laughs> That's a dis- disgusting point, Keenan. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but but then to bring it back to this movie, right? Like it, it, those those little scenes those little hints that uh there's something deeper going on there's something you know they are kind of like working behind the scenes they are working for themselves i don't know uh, what argument we can make if if we don't see it in the final (laughs) film you know what i mean right yeah right right yeah then it is odd yeah that eric gets this like self-sacrifice like he was he was able to what like like beat loki's power not just loki's powers right but this is the mind stone and so this is a a mortal who's able to overcome that again it's not the mind stone in in this movie it's the mind stone (laughs) when we retcon it from later on but um but yeah like like so he gets this big moment it's a little odd for me do we have any like i'm trying to remember do we have any hints before this minute any any like little little setups that that nod to this moment not really and that's the Mm. thing like and what's even funnier about it is eric seems so excited about the science like every time well and and let's let's remember as a character at the end like the post-credit scene at the end of thor we see him it, it kind of hints at the fact that perhaps he's already under loki's control in some capacity and then at the beginning of this film he's instantly uh mind controlled and he always seems excited and like really passionate like he's he is obsessed with the tesseract like pete and i we're always joking about the fact that if he didn't get mind controlled he probably would have been doing all this anyway anyway. because (laughs) he's so excited by the science and so the fact that he's building this safety into it suddenly it's like oh well, we just need that for the plot. Right. Well, and and the fact that the, the other hint to it is another deleted scene between actually uh, Clint and Loki, right, where we get this this uh, the, the inference is that Clint is somehow aware and fighting the mind control. But because we've ex- extracted all hints of the fighting the mind control from everywhere else, who every other person who was mind controlled, this means uh, uh, much, much less this, <laughs> this little awakening. Just a little thought experiment. I mean, what if we took out the mind control completely and and just had him being this scientist? Because I love this trope. I love I love the idea of a a scientist who is so uh, obsessed with with his work, his baby, that he might like turn a blind eye. 
for most of the movie uh, away from, you know, like like all of the horrible things that, that are happening. And then in the end being like, no, you know, I was I was blind. I, you know, I need to I need to, you know, like I need to have a heart. Yeah. You know, Alec like, Guinness, yeah. uh, Bridge of the River Kwai, you know, that sort of. Oh, my moment. God. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he I, was too busy uh, thinking about whether he could. They didn't think about whether he should. Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, are we going to see any uh, Avengers in this movie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it actually goes all the way back to to what was uh, Tim? Uh, uh, what, what was his name in uh, Hulk? Tim right? Blake Nelson. Uh, Tim, yeah, Tim Blake the, Nelson. The is leader. Samuel Stearns. Yeah. Exactly. Is the leader. Like, it's the same thing. Like, talk about, like, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory with that character. Like, hopefully we get some play off of him. But this is that character trope that I also love. It's like, it, it's sort of the, the non- uh, monster transformation version of Jekyll and Hyde. Like, I know that I yes. have the ability to do this thing, and science makes me a maniac. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. It's why Oppenheimer exists, right? Like, it's <laughs> right. that same vibe. We live through this stuff. Mm-hmm. It, and again, you know, it speaks to how interesting it would have been to kind of further develop Eric in some capacity where he kind of became this villain. Like, he became the, a villainous character further going down this road after this film. And I I suppose there's a, a large part of it is, that is that this is a character who didn't come from the comics. He was created for the Thor film. And mm. because of that, they they felt, well, he's just going to be kind of a supporting player in the stories. He We don't want him to turn into a villain or anything like that because it hasn't already been created in the comics. And, uh, you know, I suppose that's kind of the the structure that they have. We pull real characters from the comics to be our protagonists and antagonists, and we might have to throw some supporting characters in there, but those aren't going to be the ones that that lead in any capacity. That, to me, seems like a perfect opportunity to, to like, you know, make commentary on, on human beings and, and you know, our, our, our shortcomings. And, and like, Free of the comic baggage, frankly. Yes, right? I mean, I, not not to get dark, but, like, the Nazis weren't mind control. <laughs> oh, is this the first drop of Nazis that we, we take Lester in uh, coming in? <laughs> I, re- I regret to tell you, it's certainly not the first on this show. Yeah, lest we forget, <laughs> we had a whole film in World War II already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> but what I'm saying is like like the, the excuse of mind control, right? Like in our own history, we have human beings being human beings and human beings can be really, really, really bad and they can be selfish and they can be, um, and they can act out of, out of, uh, hate and fear and, and they can be influenced and everything like that. Why not just have a commentary on, like, look at, look at this, this, this man who is so obsessed with his scientific baby that he is willing to do this very, very human thing. And that makes a statement about us and like, we should, you know, do better. Oh, no, no, no. He's mind controlled. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, that, that brings up my other point is that so if, if uh, Eric can fight mind control down somewhere and maybe we have this extra textual information that Clint can as well, like what does that mean for these uh, shield guys who have and these NASA people who uh, don't have any of that and they just completely go along with it? Like, are they just weaker morally or, or what, what, what is it about these two that allows them to, to break through the mind stone? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it is a strange moment that we have here that again, it's, purely here just for the script because we have to get this scepter so that uh black widow can shut down the tesseract machine and to that end this is the next thing like 
they both look down at the scepter. We actually see the scepter laying down there on the uh, the kind of that patio outside of the penthouse. And uh, again, it's like it is not like there's a ladder down or anything. And I always wonder, like, exactly how does Black Widow find her way down there to get it and make her way back up over the next couple of minutes? Again, <laughs> it's, we see it. We don't necessarily need to actually show all of that happening in the in the course of an action film, especially as we're in the climax. It's just like they give us the pieces and we just have to assume that it all comes together in a way that works. I have two things to say. Can I say two things? Number one, she got down there by the power of imagination. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't see that. <laughs> number two. <laughs> number two. Is that one I, of her secret I powers? Actually, yeah, it's one of her secret powers, the power of imagination. Number two, I think this individual shot is bad because it puts the scepter as a, a line in shadow when your eye is drawn through the center of this little Oculus piece down to the ground. And it makes you think that he is looking... He's fi- he found the scepter all the way down on the ground, which is more <laughs> ridiculous. It's a trick. It took me th- uh, like three or four times to act of watching this movie to think, oh, the scepter's right there. And suddenly it's not as far as I thought it was. I thought she was running down the, the fire stairs all the way down the building to get the scepter and then running back up because I think it's easy to miss. Pete, until you just said that, <laughs> that's what I thought, too. <laughs> <laughs> I am not alone. <laughs> this is this would have actually been a perfect moment to use that documentary style crash zoom that we've seen yes. mm. over and over in the film where the handheld camera suddenly like zoom in, right? like right in on that uh, scepter. So we're like, oh, that's what we're looking at. Not the crane, the big yellow crane yeah. in the sunlight. <laughs> that like, sucks right. your gaze right yes. to it, right? It's, <laughs> it's a bad shot. Well, let us, uh, uh, to answer your question as, as to how she gets down there, Pete, I mean, let us not forget that her namesake is a spider. <laughs> she actually spins web. <laughs> just imagine her just kind of like, you know, crawling with, yeah. But only when nobody's looking. Right. <laughs> right. Only when nobody's right. looking. She's shy about it. She doesn't want to take anything away from Peter uh, down the road. Yeah, right, 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 right. As far as all this goes, the other thing that's funny about the scepter being here is when Loki crashes on here, does he notice that this scepter is lying right here? That's that's how he dropped the scepter, right? No, he dropped the scepter when he was fighting with Thor, oh and then he rolls God. off, hops onto his chariot, and then he's chasing her. So he's already been smashed by Hulk into the patio. He's inside in a rubble. Yes. Mm. Well, luckily, everything's ended up in the same building. It's very convenient. It's in the heart of yeah. Midtown. <laughs> yeah, it's a very exactly, convenient exactly. location. <laughs> I just keep imagining, like, when you you keep saying patio, and I just keep imagining a family sitting down to breakfast. <laughs> and it's like, honey, there's a scepter outside. Like, go grab that it, for me. Be a deer. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, that's the, the evocative power. If, it, if we called the the lanai. <laughs> it would be oh, the Golden Girls true. out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right with an umbrella. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, we go from this moment. Uh, we're not going to get to see her do her little secret uh, spider crawl down <laughs> to get the yeah. scepter. Uh, but we do cut. Uh, we're jumping over to another character. And now we're moving over to Thor. He is on a chariot and he's bashing some of the gunners. This is the first time we've seen him since Hulk punched him in the uh, Grand Central Terminal. So now he's gone out. I don't know why. I guess he and Hulk went separate ways. I guess after Hulk punched him, he decided to go bounding off to do something else. Andy, what's the rule of Thor? What do we always know about Thor? 
Thor always takes a lap. He <laughs> always great. takes a lap. <laughs> so he found his way to this chariot. He's bashing these two gunmen. Uh, but does it? It seems strange to me because he hits the two again. The chariot. It's like the pilot is in the front with those weird like shoulder harnesses like strapped to its body or into its body. Again, we're not exactly sure. And then there's the two gunmen in back. Thor hits those two uh, off of it. And then it seems like the pilot kind of loses control. You know, I, I'm not exactly sure what happens here, but he kind of seems to be swerving as if he's about to crash into this building in front of them. Is that how you read it? Or does it seem like, or is he trying to shake Thor? I, I don't know. How did you all read this moment? The physics is very interesting in this uh, this moment. I'm, I'm, firstly, I'm going to say Thor uh, amazing hamstring control. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. And, and actually, it, I'm, I'm going to answer your question with another question. Um, are his feet attached to that in some way? So that he doesn't just like blow off? Right. Yeah. Or... You'd think they are not by the, mm. by the power okay. of four. He's a god. Right. Like, he's a god. He's, he's right. got god okay. thighs and god feet holding him <laughs> yeah. in place. Yes. We should all be so lucky. Especially god hammies. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I will say just one little note. I think uh, on the CG, the compositing is on this entire parade of of sleds is, you know, it's it's fine. But his hair is not. His hair gets longer. <laughs> Do the, the the full body shot. I think his hair is like tangled now in the back, like <laughs> waving behind him. It just feels too long to me. That's my only, I know. Andy, oh, like the movie tangled. Oh, no. Yeah, the movie tangled. Like Rapunzel. I, Andy has a real yeah. problem when we cover hairstyles yeah. on this show, <laughs> but I have to bring it up. <laughs> I, I think there's uh, generally compositing issues through this whole sequence, because even Black Widow in the last shot when she was up on the roof with Eric, she also like her hair has kind of a fringe around it. Like they, they couldn't quite get it cleaned up as well as they should have. So it's definitely a thing running through this, this minute. That's why in the fast and furious franchise, they just make all their dudes bald. (laughs) It saves $50 million. So much easier. So much easier. That's that's like the uh, the Toretto. Uh, there's got to be like the Toretto uh, budget savings line item, right? Exactly. <laughs> right, but it does seem there's we never quite understand what the Chitari are like, right? Um, and it's kind of a cheat, I guess, to call it Chitar- them Chitari because, like, I, as I understand it, they're not really like the Chitari of the comics or anything, and and they kind of have their own floating rules here. So, um, you know, near the end, I mean, I don't want to jump ahead to minutes later on necessarily, but near the end, we sort of add like vampire rules, right? We kill the king vampire, and then they're all they all seem to like power down. They're robots and they're symbiotes and and all sorts of things. So, so yeah, the rules sort of you know, are what they need to be moment to moment. Yeah, what we need it to, like how we need this um, hive mind, Mm -hmm. you know, war machine kind of to to work in context of the film. You know, we're going to not be able to kill them all, so we just need to come up with something that makes them all shut down. Like, well, we've had comparisons already to the the droids at the end of Phantom Menace, like very much the same thing. It's, It's kind of a weird little... Weird little beat here. Right. And sometimes they're, they can, you say they're a hive mind, but sometimes they can work individually from each other. Sometimes one of them is the stupid one in the group and messes something up. Right. Um, so yeah, just, you know, whatever we need. There's bana- yeah. they're bad guys. Yeah. Right. <laughs> generic bad guys. Yeah. It's our generic bad army. Exactly. Right. But lest we forget, they're also slaves and they're also under the power of the maniacal forces of the other and his ilk. And this show is a save the Chitari and specifically save the Leviathan. 
yes. advocacy podcast. Yes. Well, there we go. Yes, because we're we're getting into this Leviathan scene here. This is the, our third Leviathan. Before we talk about the Leviathan, I just want to mention the building that the Leviathan is flying through. This is 320 Madison Avenue. And interestingly, and this is from MCU Location Scout, uh, thanks to them for doing all this research. But interestingly, this is the in-universe address in the comics for the Baxter Building, the headquarters oh. of the Fantastic oh. Four. Oh, uh, well, there we go. And of course, now it is collapsing. So it's kind of, <laughs> kind of funny. So much for that. <laughs> so that, uh, Andy, that brings up uh, another point I wanted to uh, talk about. Again, not to get <laughs> dark, but watching this minute, it it... My mind immediately went to it. It took over eight months to clean up the wreckage of 9-11, right, with with people, uh, you know, working around the clock nonstop, 24 hours, right, in the search and rescue and it like nine, nine plus months. Right. And, you know, everybody in, you know, in and around, uh, you know, ground zero, just like walking to work every day and, you know, kind of like all they have to do is look in the direction of that space and just be reminded. Right. Yeah. And it's something that we're going to be like reminded of forever. Right. Even even now. Right. Like when when, you know, we, we kind of have like a new uh, skyline uh, uh, to see that that isn't going to go away. Right. And it got me thinking how specifically American movies are are kind of um, nonchalant about, you know, uh, buildings falling down all over the place, you know, it, like compared to other countries like in the UK. Right. It, it was part of the culture for London children to be sent to a home in the country like that's how the Narnia books start like uh, but people like especially americans like my well, I'm, I'm just gonna speak for myself might not be aware that the reason that the narnia kids were sent from london to a remote country home was because their city was being bombed and it seems like like war and destruction and disaster and tragedy have um, a much more like i don't know uh, closer to home feel for for other countries and i wonder if that is a reflection on I mean, we have so many Michael Bay, you know, explodey building city leveling movies where like the focus isn't that the city is being leveled. It's it's on the fight that's happening that and and the city is like collateral damage. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and then compare that to like Japan and, and Godzilla, which is about the the tragic destruction of the human city. Right. And maybe I'm answering my own question here, I guess. But like. Like, that was a direct response to the atomic bomb, right? Godzilla even, like, isn't, like, resembles a mushroom cloud, right? But, but yeah, like, that's a thing I've always been, I don't know, like, what's the, what's the, uh, the darker, more sadder <laughs> version of fascinated with, but like, lestering, <laughs> lestering, yeah, <laughs> trademark right there, yeah. right? Is is what does the aftermath look like in these types of situation? Like, like, is there like a huge cleaning crew, a memorial service, a vigil, like, like, or or are we just supposed to look at that building? And you've even given it a, a, an address and like a, a a place in in time and space. Like, are we just supposed to be like, oh, look at that building falling down, or are we like, oh my? god like i hope nobody's in there or you know like in these movies like how are we supposed to feel like what are we supposed to like 
how is it supposed to hit us? You know what I mean? Yeah, I've been trying to develop a class because I teach at UNLV Film in Las Vegas, University of Las Vegas, and about disaster and survival. And because I'm, I am fascinated by those same questions, Lester, about like, mm. like why is it fun sometimes to watch this type of thing? And you know, so this is uh, eleven years after nine eleven. So I think this is like a um, a sign that America had healed in some way, right? That we can have this and we're not like completely stopped in the middle of the theaters like nobody walked out of the avengers and were like this is offensive um the way that they might have mm-hmm. you know that was sort of the question like the first major kaiju you know buildings getting destroyed in new york uh was cloverfield which is a couple years after 9-11 it took a couple years and then that movie is completely different in tone it is fun right because it's a horror movie but it is it is a quite chilling sort of movie, right? It's not like, that was, what a great time everybody had there. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. right. Well, it, because in large part, Cloverfield is focused on the people who would have been in 320 back. Right, right, exactly. The, the 320 <laughs> uh, Madison. And, right. and I think that's actually really interesting that that the these movies writ large have such exuberance about the destruction part and mm-hmm. And really short sheet the the actually repercussions part. I mean, we get a little bit of it in with Batman, you know, with uh, Bruce Wayne's perspective on the Superman Zod battle when we we have the, you know, like we get to see him on the ground trying to help kids and. Uh, and get to see how mad he gets when he watches the buildings. But that's a pretty short bit given the scale of the destruction. And so I, I think this movie suffers, uh, and the MCU suffers, the same kind of short sheet mentality to the scale of destruction. It's really easy for them to, you know, we have the brooding bits. We have uh, Iron Man, you know, real upset by, you know, Endgame, Infinity War, Endgame. Um, you know, but but how much of that is is like the you know, do these movies need space for the cultural rebuilding of a city? Right. Right. And we just had a guest on the show and we asked him who lives in the city, in New York City. And we said, what did you think when you saw this? I don't really know. They, they blow up New York all the time. Like, <laughs> all the time. Like, <laughs> movies are just made to destroy New York and San Francisco. The Transamerica Tower is constantly getting clipped. Like mm-hmm. all of those mm-hmm. things, like they're icons. So we might as well blow them up. Mm. Right. And they definitely will deal with it in some capacity. And that's one of the interesting things about the kind of the journey that the MCU has taken over the years is like they keep coming back to the Battle of New yes. York. And I mean, they touched on it, obviously, in, in some of the Netflix TV shows, uh, even though they kind of relate. I don't know at this point anymore if yeah. they're in the multiverse <laughs> or whatever, but still somehow. But then like even in Spider-Man Homecoming, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you have uh, Tombs is working in Grand Central Terminal, like dealing with the aftermath of its destruction after the Leviathan crashed into it. We have in the Hawkeye TV show, we see Kate Bishop and her family in the building and she's watching Hawkeye across the street. And so they are building these moments in to kind of have those those little elements as we're kind of seeing it from different perspectives. But yeah, we haven't really come back to see just full on the perspective of, uh, you know, somebody like Beth the Waitress, who had a little bit more of a personal story as she would have been journeying, journeying through it, going back to our conversation about deleted scenes yeah. and everything. Mm. She's she is certainly an avatar. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. For the yeah, that's a good point. But the the only one who really feels guilty about I mean, so this is Thor, say like seeming to bring a Leviathan out of this, uh, out of the former Baxter building that's going to, I presume, get rebuilt or what have you. Um, the only person in the MCU that I can recall who really feels bad about 
collateral damage is uh, Wanda Maximoff, right? And then that like like that becomes that's her villain origin story, really, if you think about it, about letting the bomb blow up in in Lagos, and um, and she's the only one who really uh, gets affected by it. That it's actually part of her story, it seems. Unless you can remember any others, not off the top of my head. I mean, I'm I'm sure there are others. I mean. It's interesting, actually. I mean, to a certain capacity, it's 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 vague and and non-descriptive as to specific instances. But certainly, toward the beginning of this film, Bruce Banner seems very adverse to being part of anything because he doesn't specifically want Hulk to come out because he's afraid of its collateral damage. Mm-hmm. And so there is that element that's kind of built into him. But again, it's not pinpointed to any specific moment. I guess you could argue it's pinpointed to uh, everything that had gone on in Harlem at the end of The Incredible Hulk. But it's again, it's it's vague. It's the va- vague the way that he describes it. It's just, I don't want the beast out because of the damage he does sort of thing. Which is like property damage, I suppose, right? <laughs> yeah, right so yeah. like property damage, I understand why that's fun, right? We get to see the transition of things and we get to see beautiful things and getting destroyed. And it, it helps us, you know, not to get too wonky, but, it, uh, you know, people think that it, it tends to let us have a catharsis without having to go and destroy mailboxes ourselves, and, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Just for the fun of it, right? Um, but like, but like human life, like, like it's impossible to see this Battle of New York and will it away that like oh everyone was fine <laughs> right yeah, like right. as opposed to hulk rampaging through harlem you're like well you know every everybody was okay <laughs> all right but this this entire building's falling down um it, you, you would have to really be trying to convince yourself that oh everybody walked away they're okay they, they all went to work the next morning as we've learned from seeing all of our New York citizens running around, they tend to just either run in circles or actually run toward the incidents. And anyone who's in a building, they don't leave. They just go to the windows to watch. So we know right. everybody right. in this building is dead. Things are going <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah. Right. Right, right, right. Well, let's talk about our Leviathan. So this Leviathan comes flying through the building right into this chariot and Thor. And, and Thor immediately gets knocked off and pretty much completely forgotten. I think it's funny that that in this whole sequence we have with Iron Man, the Thor never comes back to like help fight this Leviathan that just like knocked him <laughs> off. It becomes Tony's thing. So the Leviathan comes flying through the building, and I guess Tony was behind it, flying also through the building, because we see him come through. Must have been. Yeah, and it's it's strange. Uh, I'm not exactly sure uh, why he chose that route, but he did. And uh, yeah, this is him in his I'll Try Anything phase as he's doing whatever he can to try doing all this we see the leviathan after this kind of do a belly flop on 67 park avenue and that, that's about when tony comes up with this idea of jonah and the whale and uh, his new plan is put into action this leviathan pete um we've been talking about our, our uh friendly you know sea cows of the skies and how they're being uh, controlled by the mothership, and they really have no say in the damage they're doing. And I just have to say, this Leviathan was probably running because Tony was just uh, was beating it up and, yeah, and, and it. shooting at and it. And firing yeah. lasers at it. Yeah. I would be terrified if I were a giant sea cow of the sky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's horrifying. So sad. And then he's probably, like, Tony's flying at him, and he's just opening his mouth to say hi. And... <laughs> to say, help me. <laughs> yeah, help me. He's crying for, help me. <laughs> you know, they actually, like, researchers say they have really, really large brains. They're actually very, very small. Yeah, <laughs> they really do. If it weren't for those teeth, <laughs> yeah, they're right. just, you don't judge a book by a sea cow by its, by its teeth. 
I have a playlist of Leviathan songs um, <laughs> that helps me. It's it it's it's weird that they didn't edit out all the screaming. Um, <laughs> And the building's falling down. <laughs> right, right. That wakes me up a little bit. Yes, but, yes, you know. yes. Well, this, this, uh, you know, Pete, you brought this up earlier. As as Tony gets this idea to uh, to fly at it and into it, because as we find out, he'll run out of power before he can ever penetrate this armor. He comes up with this idea, and you actually see in his HUD that he's arming the. They're called the thigh sidewinders. <laughs> Oh, so good. <laughs> Everyone's working in their thighs then. So yeah. this is uh, yeah. Yeah. Thor and, and Tony. So much thigh work. <laughs> yeah. Never yeah. skip leg day. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, this is the leg day, man. Yeah. Right, exactly. Uh, he's got four of these thigh sidewinders that pop out of his little thigh containers. So never so not dumb. funny. I know. Say thigh again. Oh, yeah. oh, come on. <laughs> and he flies into the Leviathan. And uh, I, okay, was the plan to just like break through its teeth if it hadn't opened its mouth? Huh. Um, this is like the Millennium Falcon flying out of the uh, the meteor moon, right? You just, you just dodge. I think that was the plan. <laughs> <You> just dodge. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, he is our resident uh, capitalist atheist, right? <laughs> so, so he's yeah. quoting Jonah and the whale. Gets it all wrong. He's supposed to go in mm. there and yeah. live in there for a couple of weeks and ask for repentance from his lord. <laughs> and it's build, the build lord. <laughs> yes, exactly. The lord is supposed to allow him out <laughs> once he mm-hmm. is fully, uh, fully reverent enough, and that doesn't happen at yeah. all, Tony. No, no, no. Now, now he goes. That's like, why he was asking. <laughs> he was like, "Have you? Right? Can you? Are you familiar with the story of Jonah? Right. Because I'm not. Jarvis, can you read me the book of Jonah? <laughs> <laughs> Real fast. Real. Fast. We got about three seconds. Speed reading. Speed reading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he flies in, and it's kind of well lit. Like we can actually see the. Uh, it's esophagus as he's flying down into it. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, uh, it's just awful. Like Tony kills this poor Leviathan from the inside out, just blowing it up with all of his thigh sidewinders. And then I guess it's his comeuppance. He gets tossed out in a rather violent way from the explosion. Uh, he lands in Cleveland on wallet, Walnut Avenue. Um, and I like to think of this as product placement corner because <laughs> everywhere oh, you yeah. turn, there is another sign. There's Jansport ads. There's premium, premier parking. There's farmers insurance group, southwest.com, Metro News. There's also ads for the, the jazz festival and farmers market at Bryant Park. Um, lots of advertising and shawarma. That's what I was, I was thinking like he was going to get up and he was going to look at farmers insurance. It's <laughs> like, oh, good thing I'm covered. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And as, uh, as Pete just called out, yes, this is where our shawarma palaces we can actually mm-hmm. see it right here and uh you know maybe we'll maybe we'll visit later <laughs> now now we know how tony knows about it yeah, yeah. he saw it exactly. the baxter building fell down and all those people died but <laughs> the shawarma place is doing okay so hey no lines at shawarma lester <laughs> made me do that uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, so Tony gets swarmed by these Chitari, can't quite get himself together. And uh, yeah, I mean, this whole sequence with Tony and everything, I mean, how does it play for you all? Do you like the idea that he came up with? Does, does this plan work to kind of, you know, thin out the, the, uh, enemy? Certainly thins out that Leviathan. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we we don't count them as an enemy on the show. Is that what I've been told here? <laughs> they're yeah, our friends. They're yeah, a vehicle they're... and breeding uh, vessel. <laughs> they're misunderstood. You're the misunderstood. You know. This recalled the, the, the at, at walkers in Empire where, you know, Luke gets, uh, you know, he, he ties their legs together and they fall and you kind of go, aw, yeah. even though they're like, you know, this, this death machine, you're like, oh, don't make them not walk. You know, yeah, completely non-sentient death machine. It's actually <laughs> right. just a just like, oh, this, the, right. the giant death puppies <laughs> fell down. <laughs> and these are the, these are the giant, you know, um, death, uh, Whales. Right. Mm. So you don't feel bad for the Tauntaun being cut open to save Luke. It's just the, the that was necessary. <laughs> it was. It was already dying. It, it was, was already yeah. dead. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. my is, god. Oh god. Yeah. Oh, please save me from the Star Wars nerds who will email me to correct you. Me you that. try to survive <laughs> twelve hours on Hoth without cutting open a Tauntaun. I wouldn't. I would stay home. I'd stay home at Alderaan and, and be neutral and uh, see how far that. Oh, yeah. Good luck staying home on Alderaan. Dead, yeah. dead. Dude, dude. Oh no! <laughs> uh, well, we end this minute. Uh, Tony's Tony's getting buried by Chitari, and we we hop back up to the top of the roof where we find Hawkeye spinning around as a Chitari jumps up behind him, and and he takes aim at it. That's where the minute ends. So very busy minute. We've kind of been all over the place with our heroes, um, but it's really allowed for a lot of great them, conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. quite a few, quite a few. Well, Lester and Keenan, let's wrap it up. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Oh, thank you guys for having us again. Thanks for having us. It's wonderful. Absolutely. We'll have you back in a couple days for Minute 124. Definitely looking forward to that conversation. Uh, Before we head out, tell everybody about your podcast, where they can tune in. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, you can uh, can, uh, uh, find us on all the podcast places. Um, We are The Exorcist Minute. um, And uh, yeah, we examine that movie, that iconic film, minute by minute. Um, we, We just we just got finished with um with the scene uh and, and if, if you know the exorcist you know you know what scene we're talking about um and that was a that was that was a that was a pretty uh, um uh interesting interesting uh episode um i will say as, yeah. a, as a fan <laughs> i i have to chime in and say that your exuberance for the level of profanity in that episode <laughs> was extraordinary. You, I mean, when they talk about leaning in, this is what mm. that means. Like, this is now yeah. the definition of leaning in on the exit. Yeah, we're an explicit it was, it, podcast, and then we even had a trigger warning on it. I don't think we yeah. did enough. <laughs> I don't think that was enough. No, double or triple E. I think yeah. there was a no, discussion no. about how many E's you could yeah. give it. Right. The the exorcist itself already needs like anybody yeah. talking about it needs to put an explicit on on, you know, the beginning of their podcast. But then we got to the minute, <laughs> right? The crucifix minute. And we were like, how do we even do this? Yeah. And mm-hmm. we we just decided to. I mean, well, yeah, you'll just have you'll just have to listen to it to, to see how we handle that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's our thing. We try to, uh, you know, take really serious movies like The Exorcist and, and make them funny and uh, and try to find jokes there. And then we take really fun movies like The Avengers and bring up 9-11 and, <laughs> and the Nazis and the, the nature of the relationship between man and Yahweh. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's yeah. sort of our, our deal. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Uh, well, we'll have all the links for uh, everything Exorcist Minute related and Lester and Keenan related in the show notes. So check that out, everybody. Remember, if you can't find the show notes in your podcatcher, just go to marvelmovieminute.com and you can get everything there. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about Minute 123. So, Pete, thanks as always. Andy, tomorrow, when Clint runs dry. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. 